Who am I? Am I what I do? An artist? An accountant? A teacher? A mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student? An MVP? A winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint? A sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things? None of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I'll always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me His child. He says I am wise and restored, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me His masterpiece. I am loved by God. He says I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus, my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question, Who am I? Welcome to You Are, a life-changing series. We've been looking for the last few weeks at different things that the Bible says that we are as God's people. And it's pretty awesome. Tell somebody you're awesome. Today you're going to be balanced. So we don't get into spiritual arrogance. You ever seen that? I am the righteousness of God. Let me write you a hot check. How dare you confront me? I'm an ambassador of the Most High. We all need to be confronted from time to time. Amen? Have you found Romans chapter 8 yet? Verse 28, the context is he's talking about the Holy Spirit helping us pray, helping us in our life's challenges, and verse 28 gives us this promise. We know that all things work together for good. Can we say good? We're going to see what that good is. To those who love God, anybody love God in the house? To those who are the called, anybody called here? According to His purpose. We're called to His purpose, not our own. Is that right? For whom He foreknew, He also predestined. To be conformed to the image of His Son. The word there that Paul used in the Greek language for conform is the word sumorphos, which has the word morphos in it, from which we get the word morph which means to change. Sumorphos means to jointly formed or fashion-like or made similar to. So to be sumorphed is to be morphed or changed like something that's different from you. To be conformed. If I had some Play-Doh in the house, they have some Play-Doh upstairs, maybe they'll use some today. If you took a coin and pressed it into the Play-Doh and then removed the coin, the Play-Doh will bear the image of the coin, because it's been conformed to the image. That's the promise. All things work together for good to those who love God. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed. That's the good that's happening. 
All things work together for this good, that we would be conformed to the image of his Son. That he, that's the other, the pronoun he now switches to the Son, whom he foreknew, the Father, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his, the Father, Son, Jesus, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus, made in his likeness, so that we look like him, so that we become like him, so that he can be our brother, and people can notice the family resemblance. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? There are several sermons right here in this. We could preach, you are predestined. You are foreknown. You are called. You are justified. You are glorified. You are Jesus' little brother and sister. You are being conformed. I think we're going to lead that direction. In the direction of being conformed. Three points I want to focus on before we take off in introduction. First of all, our destiny is to become like Christ. Christ foreknew us before the foundation of the world, and in his foreknowledge, he predestined us to become like Christ, or to become Christ-like. So that's our destiny. If you don't like us, hold on. He's not done working on us yet. We're a work in process. The potter isn't finished. Secondly, God uses all things toward that end. You don't like everything in your life? Pressures? Sometimes those pressures are going to result in you becoming stronger, more mature, learning not to do something, learning to forgive, learning to be more like Jesus. God uses everything towards that end. I believe when he said all things, he means all things. Thirdly, the Lord lived a very balanced lifestyle. And if we're being conformed to his image, we are being balanced. Tell somebody, you are being balanced. Have you ever had tires that were out of balance? They don't last as long. They make the car shake. They can give you problems. They can create other problems. Bearings can get unnecessary wear and tear on them and start leaking oil and grease on your driveway. And all goes back. Keeping things in balance is important. And so Christ was the most balanced man that ever lived. We're going to look at that. And we are being made like Christ, therefore we are being balanced. The Bible never speaks of Jesus ever being nervous or frantic or running anywhere. In one of his parables, he talks about the father running, but the father's running toward the son out of excitement because the son has come home. His first recorded words as a 12-year-old boy were, I must be about my father's business. His last recorded words before he turned 34 was on the cross. Obviously, he spoke more after his resurrection. But his last recorded words as a human before his death were three words. It is finished. I must be about my father's business. Eighteen plus years later, it is finished. Twenty-one years later, I guess. 
it is finished. And yet he didn't go to work publicly in conducting his father's business for 18 years. How did he wait? If he was eager to get to work at 12 years old, how, how could he hold his horses? Because he was balanced. You are being balanced. Now, don't want anybody to be condemned, but this implies that we're not balanced. Right? And then not be balanced is not a good thing. There is such a thing as a chemical imbalance, such a thing as the systems of your body needing to be in balance. And so when things are not in balance, this is a message not to condemn us, but to help us. It's my prayer today that we see some things through the words we're going to hear of areas where adjustments need to be made. And we don't get condemned, we just make adjustments because it's part of keeping your balance. You are being balanced. This is in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe is known for balancing rocks all over a certain part of the country. It is a country that looks like this part of the world. To me, it reminds me of Texas. And there's this phenomenon known as balancing rocks. These are huge. If a human was to stand near that, he might touch the upper part of that lower rock. To give you a grasp of just how big this is. Monstrous rocks. Nobody knows how they got there. They're igneous rocks. They're hard as can be. And it would take an earthquake to knock them down or somebody intentionally doing something destructive. I didn't know till yesterday from my wife, this is called the helicopter rock, right? Yeah. She said, are you going to show them the helicopter rock? I said, that's what that is. I never knew that was called that. How come you didn't tell me? She said, I didn't know you knew. Anyway, just amazing feature. Now, these rocks are balanced and they're there to stay until somebody does something different. This is different than our being balanced. Because we're alive. Amen. Three ways that Jesus kept his balance. He understood the importance of timing. He was able to maintain priorities while focusing on the goal. And he knew who he was while serving humbly. These are three very important things. Number one, Christ understood the importance of timing. When his mother approached him with a shortage of wine at a wedding, what did he say? Woman, my time is not yet come. Wanted it all be about timing. I think a couple other places he mentioned about it not being time. Timing is so important. In my own life, I've not always been in time with the Lord. I don't know that I'm in time with the Lord all the time, but I used to be way off time with the Lord. And it wasn't being behind the Lord's timing, but getting way ahead of the Lord's timing. When you know your call, it's easy to give into impatience and get ahead of the Lord. The Lord had spoken to my heart a couple of times. I knew I was called to, to pastor a church. And I felt like he had confirmed it. And so I found a verse in Amos that said, The Lord speaks once, yea, twice. So I'm called. Let's go make a place to preach and invite folks to come. And that said, Are you sure God told us to do this? Well, I'm called, so I'm going to obey the calling. I didn't know there was such a thing as timing. During those two and a half years, someone blessed us with a car so that Yvette could have a car when I was going to work. And this was an old blue Toyota Corona, and it was constantly jumping time. Every day, sometimes on the side of 183, between my house and 
the Crescent Hotel, I'd be off on the side of 183 on the shoulder of the road with a hood up, adjusting the points. I'd buy new points and it was still jump time. During that time, I didn't make the parallel. But I can tell you this, when things are not timed right, they run rough, they're hard, they're difficult, and they run so much better when you're in time with the Lord. There's a message there for me. I never forget it. It's been branded on my soul. Psalm 90, verse 12, the psalmist prays, Lord, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, occasionally we'll have a guest minister here challenge us to be people of faith and to be people of the future and not to be so retirement-minded. You know, you can be so retirement-minded that you don't live your life. And they'll speak disparagingly of retirement. But I have to say this to balance it. I mean, if it was heresy, outright heresy, I'd correct them and you'd never see them up here again. But I know they're making a point. But the point is, you're going to get old one day. And you can't be working 70 hours a week like you could when you're a young man. So may the Lord teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's important to know where you're at in your life. If you're a young person, don't waste your youth being foolish. And then when you're old, you have regrets. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's important to understand our timing. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to tear up a garment. There's a time to soil a garment. There's a time to kill. There's a time to heal. There's a time to be at peace. There's a time to fight. There's a time for everything. Everything has a timing to it. Chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes says, A wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment, because for every matter there is a time and judgment. Can we say timing? Ephesians 5, Paul wrote, says, See then that you walk circumspectly, that's aware of all that's around you, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time. When it's time, don't waste time. Don't lollygag around. Don't stay in the boat. Get out and walk when the Lord says come. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Christ, as our example, did this. We learn by following in his steps. 1 Peter 2.21 says that we were called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Would he wait right here? Would he do something? Would he stand? Would he, what would he do? Oftentimes we miss this one. We can learn from following in his steps. We can rest while learning at his stops. There were times the Lord stopped. We can learn from those times too. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the end of the chapter, pretty much. He says something else about his yoke being easy and his burden being light. Chapter 12 opens up. It's a Sabbath day, and they're out picking corn, making Pharisees mad, and then they go into the synagogue and make him even more angry by healing somebody on 
the Sabbath day. Then they leave the synagogue, a multitude follows them, and he heals a bunch more people on the Sabbath day. He came to rip the veneer off of man-made religion, bring it down to the heart of the commands, which was to bring rest to mankind so mankind can have a relationship with the Messiah when he came. So they sit down and listen to him. But they were so busy being religious, so busy working and resting, they weren't resting. And therefore they didn't recognize the one when he came. The Lord help us to learn from his stops. And he says, stop, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Christ understood the importance of timing. We can discern when it's good to say no. Don't say yes to everything. Well, I may not get another opportunity, and I, I don't want to. I, I don't really. I know I, I'm going to put myself in a bind. You're going to get yourself all in a stress by saying yes to everything. Don't be manipulated by salespeople. You know, where God guides, He provides. Don't go into debt trusting the Lord. Well, I'm going to write a hot check in faith. Man, that'll get you in jail. I knew a guy that used to sell mobile homes. And if you sell mobile homes, please don't be offended. But please don't do this. His boss taught his employees, Oh, you want to sell motor homes to Christians? I'll tell you how to do it. Get all the paperwork ready and... Tell them, let's pray that if it's God's will for you to buy this mobile home, the loan will go through. Oh, okay. Oh, must be God's will. The loan went through. The loan got approved. may not be God's will. Don't be manipulated. Do what Jesus did. He pursued his father for his father's will. He was centered on his father where to be centered on his son. With right priorities, Jesus focused on the goal. His priorities, obviously, were family first. Before he went public, he stayed in Nazareth. We don't know what happened to Joseph. He may have helped his mother raise his younger siblings. But he waited until it was time. He went to a wedding with his mom. If you're in your 30s going to weddings with your mom, don't feel like a loser. Jesus was was right there with you. With right priorities, he focused on the goal. Family first. Family first. Honor your father and mother. That's the first commandment with promise. He was there. Yet he had a goal that superseded staying at home. Life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. When you're riding a bike, you're not just moving, but you're focusing on a goal on a direction, and you're making adjustments. Maybe a gust of wind hits you or or you have to dodge something that's in your way, but you are moving, and it's like this. If you fall down, what do you do? You get back up and ride that thing again. Why is it in life, when we experience some failure, we just want to give up? Well, it just doesn't work for me or whatever. No, it works. You just have to learn not to do it that way again. Make sure it's God's will and His timing, of course. He did not allow the urgent to take the place of the important. It was urgent that he heal someone's daughter that was dying. But it was important that he minister to everybody around him. It was urgent that he went to Lazarus' house who was sick. He didn't get there until four days later. Why? He was a balanced man. He was taking care of important things. He did not allow the important 
to take the place of the urgent. It's a balance thing. Maybe you've got to get your car fixed so you can go to work tomorrow. But your child needs a little bit of attention. Urgent to fix the car. But the child's more important, right? It's urgent that you get the checkbook balanced. But your spouse is more important. Don't let the urgent take the place of the important and vice versa. He did not allow multitudes to displace his relationships. Living as a man, a single individual, he couldn't be friends with everybody. He had a handful of people. He had 12 close friends. One of them really wasn't a friend. And his earthly family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, a guy named Zacchaeus, and some others. Yet there's thousands of people that knew him, but he did not allow his fame to rob him of the joy of friendship. In Matthew 14, it says he made his disciples get in a boat and leave, and he told the multitudes, All right, y'all, it's time to get out and go to the house. Church is over. <laughs> I'm not feeding you again. You got a headache? You pray for him. Then he went into a mountain by himself to pray. Spent some time with his father. And then he walked on the water in the dark to get in a boat with his friends. He didn't become a diva. He was balanced. This is Nick Walinda in 2012 walking on a tightrope over Niagara Falls. In his book, Off Balance on Purpose, tightrope walker Dan Thurman writes that these daredevils constantly make small and critical adjustments, lifting their free leg as a counterweight, raising and lowering their arms, adjusting their pole. A good tightrope walker is never static or completely stopped or perfectly balanced. He's always making Adjustments that are perpetually off balance, making adjustments that bring them through a point of balance only to readjust on the other side. Most of these movements are subtle and imperceptible to the crowd watching them. How do they maintain their balance? He continues, if you've ever closely watched professional tightrope walkers, you may recall that they never look down at their feet or the wire or at their hands or the balance pole. They certainly never look behind them but rather they keep their head up and look forward toward their goal. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He went through the mess that was between him and the joy, but he kept his balance. For the sake of the future, he went through present trials. Is that good? How to stay balanced like Jesus to keep our eyes on God's calling on our life. What is His calling for you? If you know what it is, do not let go of it. Do not give up. Hold on. Let that calling torment you and drive you to your knees till you hear from Him as to what's going on. Number three, my final point, knowing who He was, He served 
humbly. At the Last Supper in John 13, it says, He knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and a basin of water, and began to wash his disciples' dirty feet. And among that crowd was Peter, who was going to deny him, and he even washed the feet of Judas, who was going to betray him. How was he able to do that? He knew who he was. He humbled himself. He was able to do something. Not because he was an arrogant or prideful man. He was a balanced man. This is Nick Belinda in 2013. I have this on my DVR, the whole thing. That's awesome to watch. Walking over a big chunk of the Grand Canyon. It was on the Discovery Channel. And he prayed the whole way and worshipped Prayed about the wind and worshipped the Lord and kept his eyes forward towards the goal. Quite a feat. I learned this about him. He's a believer, of course. And he's been watched by close to a billion people. Know who he is and they've seen his feats. He knows that he's tempted by pride. So after the huge crowds leave... And the media begins to load up their trucks. He engages in a simple spiritual discipline called picking up trash. He wrote, My purpose is simply to help clean up after myself. The huge crowds leave a great deal of trash behind, and I feel compelled to pitch in and help. Besides, after the inordinate amount of attention that I sought and received... I need to keep myself grounded. So three hours of cleaning up debris is good for my soul. Humility does not come naturally to me. He's got to be super confident to do what he does, right? So if I have to force myself into situations that are humbling, so be it. I know that I need to get down on my hands and knees like everybody else. I do it because it's a way to keep from tripping. Pause. Pride comes before a... This is a man that doesn't want to fall. As a follower of Jesus, I see him washing the feet of others. I do this because if I don't serve others, I'll be serving nothing but my ego. Wow. How to stay balanced. Humble yourself. Jesus taught that greatness involves serving. He said in Mark 10, Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Make yourself last if you want to be first. You want to be great? Serve. This is totally contrary to a lot of so-called Christians. Becoming famous, Jesus kept up with his roots. How do we know that? Go to Acts 1. Who's there in the upper room? His brothers and his mama. His brothers wrote two books in the New Testament because he kept his relationship active with them. His mother's revered by the Catholic Church. He honored his mother. He didn't forget 
where he came from. His earthly roots. He was all about his father's business till the day came he was able to say it is finished. One day we're going to stand before God and we want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But to do that, I believe we need to live a life of balance, of Christ-likeness, understanding the importance of timing. If you're behind the Lord's time, get with the program and go for it. If you're ahead of him, slow down. <laughs> Find an exit ramp and get yourself retimed. Don't neglect things that are priority while pursuing the goal he has given you. And know who you are, but always be humble and serve humbly. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to our hearts as to where this word relates to us as individuals. We want to be like you. We want to know you. We want to follow you. We want to walk in step with you and pause at stops with you. And so, Lord, I pray for the people in this room that need to stop. Lord, help them to enjoy their break. And the people that need to get to stepping, let them enjoy the challenges. The people that need to change directions, people that need to go back and make some things right with their roots, Lord, I pray that they would do that. I pray, Lord, for reconciliation in families where it's needed. Lord, make us balanced people like you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a lot of talk sometimes about being cutting edge. Who's known somebody that's cut so cutting edge they fell off the edge? <laughs> and being in the middle is likened to mediocrity. Who wants to be mediocre? Nobody. But I want to be part of the radical middle. I want to be balanced. I want our church to be balanced. Picture of heaven. You know, the Bible's got a lot of pictures of heaven in it. If you want an art assignment, draw those creatures that Ezekiel describes in chapter 1. Strange creatures. That I see all of God's creation as reflections of what He's like. Things about his nature are reflected in these creatures. And these four creatures that Ezekiel sees in chapter 1 have four faces that face different directions. To the right, there's a face of a lion. To the left, there's a face of a man. And then there's a face of an ox and the face of an eagle. And this creature does not pivot. It only moves frontward in direction of the face. And as a spirit wills, it will move in the direction of the man or it will move in the direction of the face of the lion or move in the direction of the face of the ox or move in the direction of the face of the eagle. If you draw it how it moved, it kind of moves like a rook on a chessboard. Frontward, backward, except it can move up and down. Four creatures. Face of a man, face of a lion, face of an eagle, face of an ox or an eagle and ox. And to me, this is a metaphor that describe things that are important to God. Worship is important to God. Who believes that? When we worship, we mount up with wings like eagles. To me, eagles soar. Eagles have vision. 
Eagles are awesome creatures, reflections of God's creation. And this creature has the face of an eagle. And it's important that we be people of worship. But it's important that we observe the other three things. If we're just all about worship, eventually we'll cease to exist as a church and we'll become fruitless as a people. I knew a church once that was got so heavy on worship, you couldn't have a wedding unless there was 30 minutes of praise and worship. Run unbelievers into the ground. I heard about a funeral one time where they worshiped for like an hour and a half at a funeral. Just provoking unbelievers to wrath was imbalance there. Yet we need worship in our life. And worship is, is balanced by service. The ox is a creature of burden. It's an animal of sacrifice. We need to be people of sacrifice as a church. We need to be a congregation that serves more than pretty songs, but serves acts of service that actually mean something, to actually help somebody put our songs to work, turn our talk into our walk. Yet, if we're all about just service, then we just become a social gospel place totally spiritually dead. We need to be the eagle because that's where we get fired up that's where we gain vision that's where we get empowered so that when we serve others it's with joy the lion to me speaks of proclaiming the truth roaring out the gospel there's a verse in the Old Testament that says the lion has roared who can but prophesy we need to be people of truth we need not compromise the message But if all we do is yell true, 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 truth, and there's no balance, we'll run everybody off. We'll become one of those tiny little churches that that praises itself for being the holy remnant. Truth is important. But don't forget worship and service. The other face was the face of a man. It's important to remember you are human. Not to make excuses for weaknesses, but to be able to relate to people on common ground. Not to be so heavenly minded we're of no earthly good. We have space in our life for fellowship and for friendship. For caring for one another. If you see imbalance around here, remember that one of our faces is face of a man. We're humans. And if as a church, if we become all about just people, then we just become a feel-good club. Just a fraternity or a sorority or something that needs something to do beyond itself. We become self-centered. But the Lord help us to be a church that is balanced. Does this make sense? Worship and service, friendship and truth. Amen. Let's stand and may the Lord use this song to center our hearts up upon Him. In Numbers chapter 6, Aaron was given a blessing to pronounce over God's people. And the Lord says, when you do this, you put my name on my people. And of course, Jesus came and fulfilled that. Every time Aaron did this, and the priest of Follow did this, was prophesying Jesus. 
So this has already been fulfilled in your life as a believer, but we still like to do it because it reminds us of who He is. Amen? May the Lord God Almighty bless you and keep you. May Almighty God cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Omnipotent One lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. May He bring balance where it's needed and help you to make adjustments when you need to and to not stop moving forward in the purposes He has for you. In Jesus' name.